welcome to the Vancouver True Crime Podcast. This episode is called Vancouver the Beautiful and Ugly. So first of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to my podcast and I truly appreciate that. We in the city of Vancouver or Metro Vancouver find ourselves in a very precarious situation. We are looking at the news every day and see some kind of horrible tragedy. Maybe some of these news events have affected us personally. We have a healthcare crisis right now with the pandemic, mental health crisis. We have homelessness. We have street crime that seems to be increasing and people really don't feel safe. I get so many messages each and every day about that. So in this podcast, I want to uh, tell some stories of my life in Vancouver. The good, the bad, the ugly, the tragic, the heartbreaking, this absurd and funny. So thank you again for listening. Truly appreciate it. I'm a fourth generation Vancouverite. My great grandparents on my mother's side immigrated to Vancouver from Iceland in the early 1900s. My dad is American, mixed with Native American and Black. He's not allowed in Canada. He was deported for being a troublemaker and an all-around pain in the ass. And he has a lifetime ban of ever coming back here, which is probably a good thing for everyone. He was a Vietnam vet. He met my mother in the early 60s. She was a hippie. And they met at a Vietnam uh, anti-war protest. My grandfather on my mother's side was a surgeon at St. Paul's Hospital and a World War II veteran. My grandfather on my dad's side was a gangster. My grandmother was a wonderful woman. She was Native American and she raised lots of kids and she remarried a man named Walter who was a very good man and they were married until they both, until he passed away first and he was a really good father to all the kids. I was raised in uh, East Vancouver for the most part of my youth. If you listen to my early podcasts, you would uh, hear some of my stories uh, from that time. I went to high school at uh, Templeton High from grade 8 to grade 10, and then from grade 10 to grade 12, I went to Kitts High, which was the polar opposite of Templeton, which brings us to the theme of this Vancouver, the beautiful and the ugly. Kitsilano was a pretty beautiful school, close to the beach, chill, everyone smoked weed, no one fought, everyone got along. It was a, a mix of, it's almost like all the outcasts 
from around the city ended up there because they had all these programs and it was almost like the last stop. Like if, if you couldn't be, if you were kicked out of all the other high schools, you ended it up there. So, but it was a peaceful school. I really liked it. So a quick confession. Originally working on this podcast, it was actually going to be a Halloween special. I originally titled this podcast called shared accommodation. Now, anyone that's ever spent a long time in Vancouver knows that housing's expensive, renting expensive, and a lot of times if you're in between places, you might have the unfortunate uh, position, be in the unfortunate position to have to rent a shared accommodation now if you're unfamiliar with that term what that usually is in some places they call it rooming houses but typically what a shared accommodation is is like having roommates but they're not really roommates that you get to choose and you truly realize living with people that have different value systems and see things differently than the way that you see them. That's where a lot of conflict and, you know, drama occurs. So, when I was in grade 12, I already decided to live on my own because if you listen to my earlier podcast, you realize that my mom was a little nuts. And back then, at least, rent wasn't super expensive. You couldn't get something nice for cheap, but it, things were typically more affordable than they are now. So my rent was only $300 a month, which I shared a basement suite with my best friend in high school named Kevin. Now, Kevin was a best way to describe him as a very eccentric character. He was very good looking, very athletic, very charismatic, probably one of the highest IQs of anyone I've ever met, but he could be unhinged crazy. I didn't know a lot about mental illness and stuff like that back then, but you know, with my amateur diagnosis from being around people with mental illness, I definitely would see him as a borderline personality with some psychotic tendencies. So me and Kevin were workout partners. We worked out every single day, sometimes twice a day. I worked out on my lunch hour, worked out after school. We went to a boxing gym together on Broadway called Main Street Boxing. We went to a gym that was the epic center of all working out at that time called Olympic Fitness. We were completely obsessed. Our eating, our diet, supplements. When we weren't working out, we would spend time in libraries, studying anatomy books, medical books, pharmaceutical reference guides, supplement, uh, studying supplements, compounds, you name it. And uh, to this day, I've never met anyone that could work out harder than Kevin. Kevin would also, on top of the workouts that we did together, he would do additional workouts, usually workouts that he would invent. Like, for example, one time 
I was really into camping and hiking, so I had a really good quality backpack. He borrowed my backpack and he filled it up with telephone books and jugs of water, walked all the way from Fraser Street, which we lived on. We lived on Fraser and Broadway. He walked all the way from Fraser Street wearing this backpack. One thing to add is that he always had a Sony Walkman back in the day. That's what you had, a Sony Walkman with a tape cassette, usually playing either Judas Priest or Slayer. So listening to Slayer or Judas Priest, he's walking down Broadway, sweaty, looks, looks probably totally psychotic. He's power walking with a heavy backpack with jugs of water and a telephone box. He walked all the way to Broadway and Oak, which has a, a large office tower. And he started running up and down the stairs, taking the elevators. Well, I was horrified by that because that's where my doctor's office was. And I knew that was a medical building. So he's taking the elevator down with a bunch of medical staff, sweaty, grunting, listening to Slayer. And yeah, I realized there was something a little off about him. When he wasn't working out, he would spend the rest of his free time tanning. So he also carried around a beach chair that he bought. That was a custom beach chair. He did not like sitting on a towel like everyone else at the beach. He had to have a, have a foldable beach chair. And he also liked to drink hot coffee all the time, even in the blazing hot sun. So he carried around his own uh, travel mug, a beach chair, a Walkman, a gym bag with all his supplements and all his food. He was one of those guys that packed all his food with him. Tuna, boiled eggs, protein powder. And sometimes, quite frankly, it was a little embarrassing. Like we'd be hitting the club or something and talking to some attractive girls and he'd be literally inside the nightclub opening up a can of tuna. So, yeah, I mean, you get the idea. But when I first met him, we didn't he didn't drink. He didn't do any drugs. I never saw that side of him. But when he would go off the wagon it was extremely scary. Like I would have a few beers. He wouldn't stop drinking for a few days. So someone who's totally obsessed with working out and health and these insane workouts would be just as crazy when it came to drugs and alcohol. So, so this, this was the theme in his life. When I was like a young child, like, talking like under the age of five. My father was a pretty bad alcoholic. And even at that age, I mean, you wonder why they're acting like that. And so I never really liked being around people who really get like messed up. Like it's one thing, you know, to take the edge off, have a few drinks, smoke a joint, you know, something like that. But People that would get just and just go for days. That was never really my style. And it kind of, quite frankly, freaked me out, right? Because the reason why I did all the bodybuilding and the boxing and the health stuff was to be healthy. So there was something going on with him. 
you know, as the theme of this podcast, he's an example. Someone on the surface looks beautiful and attractive and healthy, but there's something ugly underneath the surface. And he was the first person I've ever met that had real scary addiction problems. And as you got to know him, you always felt it was underneath the surface. So even if there was long periods where he didn't drink or do drugs, you knew it was a matter of time that he will. And, and when he will, it was going to be epic. So it's almost the longer he went without drinking or doing drugs, probably the more he was end up going to do, if that makes sense. So we lived together for uh, end of high school, and then right out of, out of high school, I went and lived in the States for a while with some of my family down there. And then I came back, and he was living on Dunbar Street. So his mother owned a nursery on Dunbar Street, and in the back of the nursery, there was like a small coach house, which I didn't know they called them back then, but it was like a little coach house in the, in the nursery and he lived there. So if you listen to my podcast earlier, it's called the green gold rush. And I talk about a character in that podcast named Benny. Well, Benny was a friend of Kevin's and, uh, he lived there with Kevin. So at this stage of Benny's career, he was a very low profile guy, but he was making a lot of money. So by living there with Kevin, he could really stay off the radar. He paid for everything in cash and he's kept a very low profile. But at this stage, he was already moving a lot of cocaine and he was also had major grow ups throughout the city. He, I think at, at his peak, he had over, uh, if memory serves me correct, I think he had over eight houses that he did on a, in a, on a very uh, sophisticated scale. He was a very smart guy, and he didn't do drugs himself. It was all about money. And then he used the profits from selling his marijuana to buying more cocaine so he could make even more profit and kept rolling it over and over and over. So anyways, the point of the story is this. So Kevin, who has a problem with drugs and alcohol, even when he's not using, is now living with a pretty serious cocaine dealer who's selling cocaine in quite a large quantities. So one day, Benny goes to use the wash machine and throws all his clothes in there, but didn't turn it on. Kevin finds his clothes goes through his pockets and finds, I think, about seven grams of cocaine. And now he can't use it at home because, you know, he knows that his roommate will know, like, well, you don't have any money, so where did he get it, right? And blah, blah, blah. You, know, you get the idea. So so he can't go home. So what he's doing is, is he's going from place to place, usually from gas station to gas station bathroom to do his cocaine. So this was like a three-day binge. He didn't go home for three days, and he just wandered around the city, 
it was summertime, but still, you know, kind of sketchy, just using up this cocaine. So he lived on Dunbar Street, and then on Dunbar Street, right where he lived, there was a cactus club. Now he did all his cocaine in three days, and now he needs... he What, what Kevin would do was this. He would uh, go on these cocaine binges until it all ran out, and he had no more money. And then he would drink until he passed out. So basically, he would do cocaine for a bunch of days, and then he would drink vodka or whatever he can get his hands on until he literally passed out. That's how he would come off. And and in that state, he's like wandering around. He's interacting with people. He's in a blackout state. So he's in one of these states. He's been out for like three or four days. And now he's at the end where he's just drinking heavy. So he walks into the Cactus Club. And I'm sure his presence sketched them out. And they didn't want to serve him. But, you know, Kevin can be quite persuasive. And he said, listen. I'm just going to order a plate of fries, I'll have a a drink, and then I'll go. So they thought, okay, just give him the fries, give him the drink, and on his way he'll go. So he orders another drink, and they're like, ah, we're not sure. Oh, just one more drink, one more drink. They give him another one. Then he orders a third one, and they're like, listen, nah, 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 nah. You know, you're kind of scaring the female waitress. You know, you're acting sketchy. You look like you you need to go home. And, well, what does he do? He jumps over the bar, grabs a bottle. So, of course, the bartender wants to stop him. Kevin punches a guy in the nose, breaks his nose instantly, blood everywhere. He runs out. He, uh, he goes... He goes, tries to go to another restaurant, but the management has called around different restaurants already, and they're saying, hey, 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 the cops are called. You better get the hell out of here. They don't want the problem. They, they just basically say, listen, the cops are coming. Get out of here. So what does he do? He walks back by the Cactus Club. There's fire trucks or cops. He gets grabbed. He gets arrested, right? So it was one of the first kind of really disturbing uh incidences that I ever saw with with Kevin there's also the big bamboo story which I made a short kind of video clip I posted it to my story so if you go to my Instagram page you can hear about his uh insane uh, uh situation when he went to the big bamboo nightclub and then he got picked up by these two girls and he some guy tried to roll him or something and he ended up beating the crap out of the guy. Again, this was one of these types of episodes where he was doing a whole bunch of cocaine and then he was drinking like a fish to come off it. And the wrong idiot thought they could, uh, you know, uh, pick a fight with him or whatever. But yeah, listen to that little short video clip. I posted it on my Instagram page and it's on my uh, story. So you can see it. It's, I, I kind of marked it. Anyway, so moving on here. So then, uh, you know, for the aggravated assault, he, he actually did a little bit of jail time. Not a lot, but he did some, but he, you know, his, his family had some money. They had a lawyer, you know, there, he, he went to rehab and, and then when he came out, he was going to go to Langara to study psychology. So in the first semester, 
professor thought he was the most brilliant student he's ever had, his prodigy. He would invite him after class. They'd have talks and discussions in his office and really thought he was a brilliant student. That was the first semester. Then the second semester, he gets his uh, student loan money. So at this time, he's, he moved in in a shared accommodation with these two girls. And when he first showed up, he's all clean. And Kevin liked to wear like uh, expensive designer clothes. And he spent a lot of effort on his hair. And, you know, he's got really expensive haircuts. And I remember one time laughing at him because he had a one night stand. This is when we were roommates, like backing up when we were roommates. And he had a one night stand. And uh, he was mad because a girl left before he woke up and stole his $13 hairspray. So think how much $13 hairspray was worth in today's money back in the 90s. So anyways, you get the idea. He put a lot of effort into his looks when he wasn't, you know, messed up on booze and drugs. So he arrives at the door. These girls think he's wonderful, charming, joking, you know, nicely dressed. You know, what a nice young man into working out and all that kind of stuff. So now he gets his second student loan money. He spent, I think he get he got like $3,000 for a second, uh, second semester. It was, it was broken up. And it, basically in, in BC, uh, you get your, uh, when you get a full-time student loan, you get money to live on and you get money towards your school. So he, the money that he was supposed to live on, his allowance, he ended up blowing in, in a week, you know, of course on drugs and stuff. So he had no money for rent now. He totally blew his school. Apparently in his one of his blackout states, he showed up at his professor's office with a case of beer. Just horrified him. So now he can't go back to school. He has, he's basically homeless. So what he's doing now in the backyard, there was a oak tree and he would climb up the oak tree because, because his bedroom was on the third floor and he would crawl into the window. So he's literally squatting in the room that he was supposed to be renting, but he has no more money for rent. So he just hides up there. And then when they're asleep in the middle of the night, he goes down and eats their food and cooks their chicken and, and they're just like terrified. So I didn't know this was going on because I was kind of busy with my life at this stage. And I went by to see how he was doing and check it up. And they were like, Oh my God. And tell me all these stories. And they were scared. I'm like, listen, if you're afraid, just phone the cops on him. Because you can't be in your own home terrorizing. He was my friend and everything, but I didn't really like him terrorizing two, you know, two women, right? So again, you know, the, these women thinking that they're going to get this decent guy to live with in this shared accommodation, and they end up getting Kevin. So that went on for a bit, and then again, he got sent right back to rehab. So during this time of my life, I was living um, on Main Street, Main and. 41st and I was in a shared accommodation so I lived in the basement and I lived with this guy who was at the time I was maybe 21 22 and he was in his mid 30s maybe even his late 30s and the guy seemed to have you know his life together he had a truck he had a motorcycle, he had a car, he had a boat, he had, you know, furniture, TV, everything one can have. And he had a business, he had his own business where he would deliver 
uh, auto parts to different auto body shops and mechanic shops around the city. So basically they would call him when they needed a part for something and he would physically go get it. So it saved them from having to go uh, do it themselves. So he, he carved out a kind of a niche business doing this and he made really good money. He did, he did quite well. And he seemed like a, you know, little, I could tell he was a little bit kooky, you know, he, um, he seemed to have some different ideas of things, but you know, we got along pretty okay. And, and, uh, you know, everything was good. So he worked a lot. Like I didn't see him a lot. I might see him sometimes in the evening and I don't know, there was something up in that house though. So it was owned by this lady and she was like this, probably in her late forties. And she seemed like for, with me, she was like all business. She just wanted me to pay my rent. She didn't really interact with me or any of that. And this guy, he would tell me all these stories about all these encounters and, oh, has she ever hit on you? Or have you, have you got, you know, have you gotten a piece of her yet? And, you know, God, when you're 22 years old, the idea of sleeping with a 40 year old woman is just like absurd. It's like sleeping with one of your friend's mom. And I'm just like, oh, hell no. Right. And, and it just puzzled me because it just, I didn't see that side of her. Right. So, you know, that was the first little you know, something was a little bit off about this house. So I was at that time, I was taking some courses as some general, you know, academic courses, wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, but I was also on Canby street. I was at going to St. John ambulances in the evening, taking industrial first aid. I, I thought about maybe becoming a paramedic and these are the kind of the stages you have to do it. I think now they call it workplace first aid. They changed the name, but, but back in the day, it was called industrial first aid. So I was taking that course and, um, I worked at Oak Ridge mall at a vitamin health store. Cause I was still into the whole fitness bodybuilding thing. And, and so during the day I'd be home a lot cause I worked a lot of my shifts were in the evening time. And then I would also take these courses in the evening time. So the people who lived above me was a husband and wife. And that guy seemed always very friendly, cordial, seemed like a very blue collar guy, you know, very like, you know, six Joe six pack, watch the hockey game kind of guy, you know, you didn't seem to be a lot of layers to the guy, but nice guy, really nice guy. And something was definitely up with his wife. Like something was up. Every time I saw her, she was always in a bathrobe and she always had that look, that expression on her face. Like she just swallowed a canary or something like this kind of giggly, kind of very, I don't know, like, like, I don't know, like almost like she had like too much champagne or something, just acting a little tipsy and just really weird. Like she gave off a very strange vibe and always in the house coat. You know, every time I walk, you know, in, into the, my entrance was in the back. There was a, a balcony or like a, a deck and she'd come out on the deck and then she'd giggle at me and I'd just kind of wave like, oh, hello. And she, you know, I always saw her in the, in the bathrobe. And so what started to be a regular thing was I'd be home. Usually around, this would be like around the afternoon, was 12, 1 o'clock. And I would hear her 
getting, you know, there's no other way of saying it, just getting pounded, the bed spring, the, the headboard smashing the wall, like bam, 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 and the bed spring going, and the, the floor just boom, and, I'm, and it's right underneath me, like right where my, my bedroom is, and it's like she was, her bedroom was right above there, and just getting like just nailed, and this guy just grunting, and her moaning, and so first I just thought it was a husband, I'm like, whoa, you know, having some nookie during the, during the afternoon, like married couple, right? I thought, I thought at the time, oh, they must be newly married, newlyweds, still in that honeymoon phase. And it, 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 it was a regular thing, like at least three or four times a week, but always during the weekday, never on the weekend. And always around, you know, one, two in the afternoon. So then I started noticing that his truck was gone. Because the guy worked construction, he had a big truck. And it would be gone, he wouldn't be home. And every afternoon, three, four times a week, she's getting, you know, nailed. The, mo the most aggressive, insane uh, sex I've ever listened to in my life. Like it was so over the top, like, like it was almost like it would just like shock and awe listening to it. And, and, and my girlfriend at the time should be over. We'd be like looking at you like, holy shit. You know, maybe, maybe she was wondering why, like, Hey, why ain't anyone doing that to me? Right. I don't know. Maybe it made me feel a little inadequate to be honest. It was just like so over the top. So anyways, moving forward here. So there was a gym on about 41st and Main Street. It was called Fitness Quest, and that's where I was working out at the time. And because, again, you know, most of my work or my class was in the evening time, I'd work out in the afternoon. So I was coming home from the gym, and it was summertime, and, you know, wearing shorts and a tank top. And there she is out on the back balcony. And she's wearing her house robe and she's like waving at me. Hey, hi, hi. And it's like, hi, hi. Right. You know, a little weirded out by her, to be honest, because, you know, hearing the, the over the top, uh, you know, sex that she's been having, it's, you know, kind of, I'm kind of marveled. I'm kind of fascinated, but I'm also kind of like, you know, a little like bewildered, you know, knowing also the guy's truck is gone, like kind of like what, what's going on here. Right. So she's like, Oh, oh I need your help. Can you come up? Can you come up? And I, and I kind of didn't want to, because I just, uh, like just kind of that sick feeling like, you know, what, what, what am I going to get myself into? So she's like, Oh, I just need your help for something. Just please come up. Right. So I go, okay. I say, okay. Let me just drop my bag off. So I dropped my bag off. And before I could even go up, She's at, the, she's at my doorway and, uh, she's not wearing the bathrobe, but she's wearing like these, uh, these kind of dresses that were popular in the nineties. They were kind of like, I don't know, <sighs> trying to be, uh, politically correct here, but usually really sleazy chicks wore these. They were like kind of like tube dresses. They were one piece and they were skin tight, kind of spandexy. Uh, cottony material and they and she was wearing one of those a white one and it was t 
too small for her. Like she wasn't really overweight, but she was kind of a bigger girl. She had you know, big boobs and big legs and, you know, and, um, she's wearing that. So I'm just right away. I'm just like, Oh, like, okay. That's what's underneath the bathrobe. Right. And she's like, Oh, I need your help to come up, come up. I just, it will only take a minute. And, and I, I go up, right. And in the kitchen, she's, we're in the kitchen and I see a bottle of vodka that's open and, you know, I could see that she's drinking it and she smells like vodka. Like you can, you know, it's pretty strong. It's good smell it on her. Remember, this is like maybe like one, two in the afternoon. And, uh, she's like, Oh, come on in here. Right. So she takes me into a room, a bedroom right away. And the, and the room wasn't like, it was kind of like, I don't know, like it, it, it had, I remember it, it had like a, a pink bed spread, but, and, uh, and there's lots of pictures of them and her husband, you know, all these trips they've taken and the wedding pictures. So I feel like the guy's looking at me, there are these pictures of them everywhere. So I feel weirded right out. I, and it's okay. What, and I just kind of like, kind of let's get to like, is there something, what, what can I help you with? Right. And she throws a thing of baby oil at me and it's like this, uh, there's like maybe like an inch left at the bottom and the bottle looks kind of, I don't know, it looks a little grungy. Like it's kind of like the bottle's been around if you, and so I'm holding this kind of like grungy bottle of uh, baby oil. There's like an inch at the bottom of it. And she's like, Oh, I want you to give me a back rub. And I'm just like, Oh fuck. Right. So, I, I honestly, I feel kind of like in an awkward situation here. So I'm like, okay, I'll rub your back. Right. So I'm like, sit up. Da, da, da. No, not like that. And she just rips off. She rips off the two dress. And now she's completely naked, like completely naked. And, and you know, you're in at that age, I'm 22. So part of me is like, kind of like, whoa, like, you know, whoa, naked lady here, but also two dude looking at me, you know, pictures of this dude everywhere. And, uh, and so she sits kind of like sits right into like between my legs. Like I'm, I'm sitting on the edge of the bed, right? And she sits kind of puts her butt right into me. Remember, she's naked, right? So I'm thinking like within five minutes of her seeing me outside, I'm now naked with her in this room with, with pictures of the dude looking at me. And I, you know, lots going on in my head, right? So I'm thinking, is this guy going to come home? What about the other guy that seems to be a regular of hers? So I'm wondering, like, you know, like kind of like, what the F here? So I asked her, I said straight up, well, listen, I, 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 my room is below yours. And I hear a lot of, you know, grunting and all your sex noise and stuff. And, and then I also see that your husband's truck is not there and i'm like so like, who's the dude and she just blurts out where it says oh it's my roommate it's like he does his part delivery thing and then he pops in because he would use his motorcycle when he did his part thing you know cheaper on gas zip around faster all that kind of stuff so he, in between when he wasn't delivering his parts, he didn't, he didn't have anything to do. And he had a, maybe a little block an hour or something or two hours. He'd go upstairs and nail, you know, this dude's wife. Right. 
And I'm just kind of like, whoa, it's just like, oh, okay, well, at least I know who it is now. But then I'm also now looking at my roommate kind of differently, like, dude, like, like, wow, you're aggressive, right? And, and, and the whole time this, this woman is just talking my ear off. So I'm thinking, is she on like, just talk, 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 talk. And, and a lot of it nonsense, right? Just, just nonsense, like just almost like, and, and so there I'm kind of like, you know, I'm, I'm now thinking like, okay, one, she seems kind of like, you know, messed up. Maybe she's also doing drugs. She's obviously heavy into the vodka. I'm naked with her. And then I'm like thinking like, oh God, like what if that my roommate comes home and, you know, expects her to be alone and sees me, is there going to be some kind of weird shit, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I felt pretty much uncomfortable. And here I am with a naked lady with, with a gross bottle of uh, baby oil sitting on this pink bedspread with a, a dude, you know, these pictures of him, like looking at me and eyeballing me. Right. So I, I rub her back, you know, I give her a bit of a back rub and she's just like overly exaggerated. Oh, that feels so good. And this like, you know, I like I'm doing like a half-ass job and she's just going on. She's like, you know, touch me here, grab this, then, and then he puts my hands on her boobs. And, and, and then, then I was like, you know what? I, I'm really sorry. I, I got to run and do something. Maybe we can do this again. You know, I, I just want to get the F out of there. It's just, it was almost too much, right? She's, she's pretty drunk. And, and, and like I said, um, she's drinking straight vodka. She has, she has a glass of vodka and she's just drinking it straight. And you know, she's, she's pretty hammered. Right. So I, I don't feel good. You know, I don't feel like, you know, part of my brain is like, does she, is she so drunk? And does she, will she even remember it is the point. Right. So I get myself out of there and she's all giggly. It's like, yeah, it's okay. Cool. I hope you come back. Da 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 da. Right. So I leave, I'm just like, whoa, like, whoa, you know, I, and then now I feel kind of like, you know, my girlfriend would come there quite a bit too. Right. So now it's going to be weirder. What if she shows up at the door and they're in her tube dress and, you know, says some, Oh, he gave me a mis- naked massage with baby oil, you know, great. Like that, that's going to go over well. So now I'm, now I'm in a state of paranoia here. So now something else is going on. My roommate. So like I said, when I moved in, he had a boat, he had a car, he had, um, oh yeah, he had a canoe. He also had a motorcycle. He had furniture. He had a TV. He had a whole bedroom set. And I'm actually trying to avoid that place. Like I'm just kind of like, you know, it's especially after that, I just kind of want things to cool down a little bit. So I come home. I was staying with my girlfriend. She had her own place. I was staying with her and I come home and notice the couches are gone. I'm like, okay, whatever. Right. Cause but again, I rented a room. Most of the stuff was this room. My the the guy I lived with. Right. So couches are gone. Then, um, no TV. He had a, he had a, you know, pretty large TV for, for that time. TV's gone. He had a stereo system that's gone, right? This is, this is happening over a course of a few weeks, right? Every time I see that woman, she'd wave at me, see the husband. He'd always be like, Hey, how's it going? He wants to chat my ear off. He, you know, he's one of those like kind of like guys that was really into sports and, and 
even though I was into working out and athletic and stuff, I, I didn't really keep up on how the Canucks were doing and who was winning this and what team was doing well. And, and with him, it was all stats. And he, he, he seemed to be, uh, honestly, I think he was like starved for like male company, but not like in a gay way. He was just, you know, he, he seemed to, he needed like a, a bro friend to go to the bar with and watch games with. Cause I, I think that's, that's what it was. So every time he'd see me, so, so remember I, I got naked with his wife. Oh, I didn't get naked. She got naked. Right. So I seen his wife naked, uh, in this, in the, I don't know if it was a room they slept in, but it was a room with lots of his pictures and, you know, pink bedspread. And, uh, and I know that the roommate that I'm living with, is banging her every chance he gets on a savage level, right? So I, I just feel like I know too much, right? So I, I, I want to avoid them all, right? And um, so as I keep coming back, you know, I'd sleep there sometimes. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't, my girlfriend would never spend the night. I just, I didn't want, you know, get into some weird, awkward situation, right? So anyways, so now there's no furniture in the living room at all. And I noticed the motorcycle's gone. Then the boat's gone. Then the truck is gone. The canoe is gone. One day, he opens his bedroom door. Because I remember his bedroom door had like one of those sliding doors. All of his furniture was gone. And, and I'm not kidding. The only possessions he had was when you go camping there's a thick uh foamy rolls called the insulite he had a, a, a insulite uh camping roll that he was sleeping in with a sleeping bag and his mode of transportation now for his business he's using a mountain bike and i did notice that the activity didn't seem to be going on anymore right so i haven't heard that in a while since you know when i was home but like every time I would see that woman, she'd be like, Oh, come on up, come on up. And I'm like, Oh, sorry. I gotta, I, I, I gotta, I gotta be here. I gotta be at work, blah, blah, blah. And you know, I got dude that wants a bro friend there. Right. So one day this guy shows up, it was a friend of my roommates who's known him for a long time. And, and my roommate wasn't there and he seemed like a nice guy. He was a tree planter dude. And, you know, he, you know, I, I was home there and no one else was in the house, the house was empty. And so I was keeping him company and, and I just was straight up. I told him everything that was going down and he just looks up and he goes, Oh shit, he's doing it again. I'm like, doing what? He's doing Coke. That's why he's selling all his shit. And I'm just like, Oh, right. Like, Whoa, that makes sense now. Right. And, uh, and then I told him about the, um, the shit upstairs, right? Like, well, the, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about that chick, too, and stuff like that. I go, does the husband know? Like, da, 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 da. He was like, he goes, um, I think he's one of those guys that, you know, he's just, he, he has kind of a very awkward personality, and um, he, he doesn't have a lot of confidence in me. So he probably knows, but he just kind of lets it go because he, the prospect of being single is more terrifying than facing the reality that his wife screws around under him on every chance he gets. So again, this was a very bizarre situation. And, and, and so how it ended was this was my roommate now lost 
all his business uh, ability. They, you know, he's he's doing drugs on a map. He's basically became this like a complete coke addict. Even his whole persona changed. Everything about him changed. And I'm sure no one wanted to do business with him anymore. So now he had an idea was he was leaving town on his mountain bike. He had a little tiny radio. He had a mountain bike. He had his roll. He had a sleeping bag. And he said he was going to bike all the way from Vancouver all the way up to Yellowknife. So that was literally, I actually saw him off riding off into the sunset on his bike. So one more incident I had with uh, the wife uh, before I moved out of there because I, I, you know, I decided I wanted to move out. It just got too weird. And uh, it came in the back. She comes out to the balcony. She has like the crying, the mascara. Oh, I need help. She's like all hysteric. I need help. I'm like, okay, like, okay. Like I thought she actually got hurt. So I kept, we go upstairs, sure enough, bottle of vodka, tube dress. Um, she's a crying mess, right? I'm just trying to say, what's going on? Oh, I just need company. I feel suicidal. I'm like, is there someone I can call? And uh, she's like, no, no. I'm like, well, what about your husband at work? There's a way of getting a hold of him. Oh, don't call him. Don't, he's busy at work. Leave him alone. And then she rips off the tube dress and now she's naked again and she's crying and stuff. And now I'm with a crying naked woman and I'm thinking, oh my God, like, like this could be bad. Like, you know, she's hysterical. So now I have to calm her down. I have to talk to her quietly and slowly and saying, you know, like, let's get dressed. Let's put on your bathrobe. Maybe let's get some coffee. And it was really kind of actually kind of a frightening episode because, um, I think there was something really mentally uh, wrong going on with her. And, and also like for someone who didn't really know what the situation is, like to say, you know, to say that the neighbors heard all this commotion because she was being quite loud. They come over, she's naked, she's drunk. And then she says, I did something to her. Oh, I came in and I, you know, I'd be just being handcuffed. So I'm thinking all this stuff. Right. So I knew that this was a bad situation and, and, uh, I had to kind of get away from it because I felt like this woman was really a time bomb. Either she was going to hurt herself or she was just going to, you know, she's like, it's like I literally felt like if there was any dude that was walking by in the front sidewalk, she'd be running out, you know, naked trying to grab the guy. So it's, it was a very strange, like, you know, situation to be put into. Right. And again, you know, you're living with people that you don't know that have these mental, you know, uh, health issues that are acting out in very bizarre ways with drugs and alcohol. So at this stage, I decided to uh, move in with my girlfriend at the time. And we had a pretty good relationship. We dated each other in high school. Uh, we took some time apart when I went to live in the States. And then when, we, when I came back, we just started, you know, right back where we uh, started again. We always had a good relationship. And, and she started getting, um, you know, living together, she started getting like really severe health issues, uh, Crohn's, colitis, and she was in and out of the hospital a lot. But, but then it was also affecting her mental state. Like she started to really act, um, 
you know, kind of like peculiar. Like she would like, uh, pick arguments for no reason. Like, just like, you know, we, we, for example, we'd be all go to a nice dinner and had a great time. And you'd get home and then she's like, Oh, I can't believe you said that joke. I'm like what joke? Like you know, something that you couldn't even remember that you did. Like, you know, you, you've been out for almost four hours and then she picks something you said for 30 seconds that you had no idea or forgot. And you're also having drinks. And next thing you know, you know, Oh, you know, this, this horrible argument and almost these allegations against you. Oh, you're insensitive and this and that. Like just, just like, like these bizarre, like personal attacks. Right. So obviously with that, the, the relationship dissolved because it's just like, you know, again, I wanted to support her for the health thing, but I, I didn't want to be in constant conflict with somebody and, and, and over stuff that you couldn't really defend yourself. It was, she'd always pick like very obscure things. Uh, like for, uh, I remember one example, back in the day in, in downtown Vancouver, there was a lot of street prostitutes, Richard street, Seymour street. Um, there were, it would, it would be like literally like 50 girls all up and down the sidewalk. Right. And I was in a cab and, and it was a friend from out of town and my girlfriend at the time. And he was from like a small town where they don't see that kind of stuff. So he was just like, whoa, look at all the hookers. And he didn't say anything really bad about them. He just, he was just observing. He didn't see that. So if you don't remember, uh, if you're, you know, young or you weren't from Vancouver, it, it, even, even for someone who lived here, it would still surprise me how many girls would be out on the street, like off the, up and down Richards and Seymour specifically. There was also, um, Quebec Street and East Vancouver and then Broadway too. There was a lot of girls and, you know, each had different, there was different like price range for wherever the street they stood on. But anyways, that was considered the high track and, and on Richard Street. So anyways, he mentioned like, whoa, look at all the hookers. Or I think he might've said whores, right? And again, he had a few drinks and, you know, again, and then like also too, they were very aggressive. So if you, if you were walking, they would, you know, they'd come to you, Hey, you want a date? Da, da, da. They weren't like, you know, like, so it was, it was pretty overwhelming for someone who wasn't used to that. So for him, it was kind of a, uh, surprising thing to see. Oh my God. She ripped into them. Like, how dare you? Da, da, da. And, you know, really over the top. Right. This ruined the evening. So, so I was pretty mad. We got in this huge argument. Right. And, and that was a problem with her. It was like, you felt like you could never let your guard down. Cause as soon as you had a good time, she would find like a, a reason to argue with you. Right. So anyways, uh, we separated and, uh, you know, I, and I just wanted to find a place really fast. So I look in the paper under shared accommodation and there was a, a house on Nitka street, which is just like, it's in East Vancouver, but it's around Renfrew street. And it was an older house, but it was available right away. And I thought, you know what? I'll stay there. I'm busy. Anyways, I just got this new job at a nightclub as a bouncer. It was the first uh, job as a bouncer I ever had. 
And, you know, I'm never, I'm not going to really be home anyways during the day. I'm going to be at the gym or at the beach or I was into rollerblading. And, um, you know, even if the, pl- even if the place kind of sucks, no big deal. So I go, I go look at the place and there's two rooms available. There's one that's available right away. And there's one that's going to be available in a week. So they showed me the one that's available right away. It was in the basement and it was freshly painted, had new carpet, it had a brand new bed. It, you know, on all surfaces, it looked nice. It was just freshly renovated. But just something about the vibe was just like, um, I just felt like, no, I don't want to be in the basement. That's how I rationalized it at the time. But my... It's like your hair was standing on the back of your neck. So I said, well, let me just check out the room upstairs. So I go upstairs and it's a bigger room. And uh, it had big, like really large windows that had, you know, kind of a nice view of the backyard. And that area of Vancouver, it's called Sunset. So it's kind of hilly. So the way that the house was, it actually had a nice kind of view of like the neighborhood and it was kind of like the up on a hill so you, you had almost like you felt like you're on a bit of a mountaintop view so i said you know what i'm gonna wait for this one it just seems more warm or you know a little more relaxing i like the view and i can handle you know my girlfriend for one more week so i waited a week so i move in and you know at the time i'm extremely healthy i'm not drinking kevin's in rehab and uh you know i I would spend the day rollerblading going to the beach that kind of summertime you know beautiful day had a nice you know fun day out in the sun i come home and uh, this is the first night i ever i ever spent there the house is ugly like it's an it's kind of an old you know creepy like lots of old lady stuff like it, it feels like like someone and someone's grandmother died and then the owner whoever inherited the house decided to well we're just going to rent it out make shared accommodation did nothing about kind of clearing it out or making it. it's like a bunch of mismatched furniture you know doilies cabinet with old you know china but it's also a very narrow house so the house has this kind of claustrophobic feel it's three stories but it's very narrow like the hallways are very narrow there's there's a stick and there's these really steep stairs that go up onto the third floor so again a shared accommodation i meet my roommate so there was one guy he was actually a nice guy uh, he was, seemed like to be the most normal one he was a guy from south africa a white guy from south africa who was starting a business he was a very professional business guy and he was just like you know i just moved here and he got some, uh, he's, he, yeah, he moved here. He was starting a business. So that's all his focus on. He actually drove a nice car. He wore like suits and ties. And so this was a very like transitional period for him. He was just putting all his effort and getting this business up and going. And so I got along with him pretty good. I didn't see him very often, but you know, I remember, you know, he seemed pretty cool. He gave me a, a ride once to the, to the nightclub I was working at. So anyways, the first night. Um, I had a nice day. I lay on the bed and 
I just feel like uneasy, like just feel like I can't get comfortable. Right. And I think, well, maybe, you know, overstimulate yourself. Maybe I'm dehydrated, you know, been out in the sun. So I go in the kitchen and I drink a lot of water thinking, you know, maybe I'm hydrated. Maybe that's why I feel kind of uneasy. So I go back in the room and you know, I'm just trying to fall asleep. Can't fall asleep. I just, I feel like almost every time I fall asleep, like something just kind of pushes me like, like, like a tap in the shoulder almost, but I, I think it's nerves, right? So this kind of goes on for a long time and I'm just so irritated. Like I feel kind of by the end, by the morning, I feel irritated. Like I feel like, I, I don't know. I, so I, 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 I assume it's just maybe something going on with me, like, you know, cramps or, you know, rollerblading too much or something like that. Maybe I pulled a muscle trying to rationalize it. So that, that was my first night. Just had a terrible night's sleep. And then, um, the other thing was in this house was, so I hated going downstairs too. The shower was actually downstairs. So you had a shower downstairs and your laundry downstairs. And it's like, you go down and it's just like, you just felt, you felt, you know, felt scary. Like that's the only way to describe it. Like I didn't enjoy it down there. So anything I had to do downstairs, just do as quickly as possible and come back up. So this went on. So I got a job. Uh, it was first time as a bouncer at a, at a nightclub and it was on Kingsway. Uh, the nightclub was called the Starship. Um, it's definitely not around anymore. And the owners were like right away, just knew. The way I got the job was there was a gym that I used to work out a lot at uh, downtown. It was called Neighborhood Gym. It was a 24-hour gym. It was right downtown. And, you know, I, I, I worked out there off and on since like high school. And there was a, a black guy that worked out there. He was kind of a guy that you never were sure if he liked you or not. Like once in a while, you might get a nod, you know, never would really engage in conversation. His friend would always talk to you and his friend was cool. Right? And, you know, he would like, you know, shoot the shit with you and, you know, you can talk to him, but him, you, you couldn't. It was always like, you know, kind of, I don't know. You felt uneasy around me. But anyways, he was the head doorman there. So when I showed up, he was like, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. I just nodded, gave me a nod. And yeah, you know, you, you can work here. And that, and that basically was hired on the spot. Because it's, you know, okay, cool, right? So anyways, that place, man. Like, I've been around gangsters before. But this place had, you know, it was one of those, play, you know, kind of like scenes in there. Like the management was just mind your own business. You don't see anything. You didn't hear anything. You, you got that vibe like right away. Like just, you know, very intense kind of people, you know. And um, so one day after the night, after the night's, you know, wind down, we'd hang out, you know, have a few beers, play pool. And there was a guy that was always around and, you know, I talked to him. He seemed interested that I was into working out and stuff and the boxing. We talk about that and he says, oh yeah, I do Thai kickboxing and da, 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 da. And like really nice guy, like really, like really soft spoken, um, very articulate, dressed nicely. And one day, uh, we're playing pool and he's do he's taking a shot and his sleeve goes up and on his wrist, there's a, a bracelet. It has diamonds on it, and it says the name of the dude that owns the bar. So right away, I was like, oh, kind of, you know, kept that a mental note of that. 
So later on, I asked someone, well, hey, what's up with that bracelet? Like, what's up with that? And he goes, oh, you don't know that? That's, 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 uh, I'm not going to say the guy's name. Who knows if he's around? <laughs> he's a, you know, pretty dangerous person. And let's just call him Bob. So Bob goes, that's Bob's guy. I go, what do you mean that's Bob's guy? So I'm thinking, or is he gay or something? You know, diamond bracelet, right? And he goes, no. Looks at me, goes, no. That's his hitman. That's his guy. That's his bodyguard. And I'm like, oh, right? Like, oh. He goes, yeah. He goes, that guy's a serious dude, man. Like, that guy was, like, in the Afghan war. And, you know, from the Middle East. He was fighting Russians. And so anyways, so my first night working at that place, there was a waitress there. And it was one of those things where, you know, you look across the room and it's just like electricity. It's just instant chemistry. And, you know, beautiful woman, absolutely gorgeous. She was, uh, she was as tall as me. I'm six foot. She was six foot. Um, you know, voluptuous woman, you know, and she had black hair and she had blue eyes and she was Ukrainian and instant like chemistry just, you know, you know, didn't want to be separated from her. So I'm living in this really creepy house. And so now I'm like every chance I can get, I am going to stay with her. Right. So one night I am not staying with her and I go home after the club closes. I didn't have anything to drink. I feel totally clear headed. And again, I get that feeling of something is in the room with me. That's the only way to describe it. I can't see anything, you know, and you know, it's, yeah, I'm just like, fuck this, excuse my language. I go into the fridge and there's like uh, a bottle of wine there. So I'll just replace it in the morning. I just guzzle the whole bottle of wine so I could go to sleep. And remember, I'm not really drinking at this stage. So I, I drank basically a whole bottle of wine just so I can go pass out and not feel disturbed, right? The next morning, the roommates are home. There's two guys that live upstairs on the third floor. There's one other guy that lives on the same floor as me. And then there's two people that live in the basement. And they all happen to be up on the main floor. And I said to them, I said, okay, I don't want to sound like I'm crazy. And they all look at me and I can just tell they've heard this before. And I said, you know what? I'm getting some bad vibes in this house. Like, you know, I feel like at night, I feel like something's bugging me. It's the only way to describe it. I feel like there's something in the room and it's like touching me. And, and then the guy says, listen, when you first came here and you went downstairs with us and we showed you that room that was available and you turned it down, do you know that we've been trying to rent out that room for six months and no one will rent it? And I'm like, he goes, well, the person that lived in that room before the six months committed suicide in that room. And they had some kind of, they were estranged 
from their family. Their family wanted nothing to do with them. He would send them letters. They would return them. And then one day, he put a plastic bag over his head and duct taped it and took a whole bunch of sedative sleeping pills and died. And they didn't find him for three or four days. So they renovated the room. They bought a new bed. They painted it. The owners of the house did. And they cannot rent that room out. And they said ever since that guy did that, the house has been really creepy. They, The people upstairs said for the last six months, they get visited by an old lady and an old man at the foot of their bed. And I'm like, oh, great. And, and, um, and I'm just thinking like, wow, well, isn't this great? It's funny that the, the, the South African guy was very skeptical. Oh, it's nonsense. I haven't seen anything. Like he was very skeptical. And, you know, he actually lived in the basement too. So he just felt like it was all everyone's just making much to do about nothing, right? So anyways, that night. It's actually wasn't quite the evening. So in Vancouver, if you're not from here, around July, it's daylight pretty late. at like 10 o'clock, even sometimes like 1030. It doesn't get dark, like in peak summertime. So I remember this, it was, it was late evening and, um, I didn't have to work. It was like kind of the sunset and there was in the room that I was in, there was orange thick curtains. And I remember the sun was shining through them and I was laying on the bed, right? I'm feeling all right, but I'm still kind of disturbed by this news I heard. And the sun is shining through the curtain, so the whole room is like lit up in orange. So it's like it's almost like you're in this orange glowing light. This was actually kind of nice, actually. It kind of was kind of cool. And on the curtain, there was like a black shadow that went across it. So I thought there was something outside making a shadow across the curtain. I'm laying on the bed. And all of a sudden I get, I get, I get adrenaline, I get an adrenaline rush. Just like if I was in a club, you know, I've been at the club now for about two, three weeks, roughly about three weeks, maybe at the most, you know, I've already had to deal with fights and stuff going on. And when there's that kind of excitement, you get an adrenaline rush. So now I'm laying in the bed, I'm about to go to sleep. Your eyes are wide open. You can't even shut your eyes. Like that's that's how you feel. Like you, you you can't even blink. And I see a black shadow, and it looks it looks kind of like pick. The only way to describe it, it looks dusty but black, but it looks pixelated. And it walks across the curtain. Remember, it's all glowing from the sun behind it. But now I realize it's actually in front of the curtain. It's not. See, at first I looked at it and thought, well, maybe something went across the window outside and it was making like a, you know, making like a silhouette. Right. But I'm, I feel frozen, but this adrenaline rush, I can't blink and it's daylight still. And I see this black pixelated thing walk across the curtains. And now it's, it feels like it looks like it's f floating or moving around the bed. And I just get the f 
F out of there. I just bolt. I boom. I grab something, my bag or whatever, and I just go. Call the girl I was dating. Hey, I didn't tell her I saw that. I'm saying, listen, you know, there's, you know, wondering if I could just hang out with you tonight. Just, you know, whatever. They go, yeah, sure, come on over, right? Hung out with her. I decided, you know what? Hey, you know, would you mind if I move in with you, right? So she's like, oh, I'd love that, right? Because we were, we had a good chemistry. We got along really good and, you know, we really enjoyed each other's company. So I moved in with her and she says, you know, just as well, you can help me with the rent because she was going to school full time while doing that cocktail waitressing job. And I don't really think she liked doing that job because, you know, again, it wasn't really, a, uh, it was kind of a sketchy place and, you know, her ass would get grabbed and, you know, people were pretty aggressive and stuff. And I didn't like the vibe there too. Like it just had like, you know, again, it just had this bad vibe and then, you know, stuff going on and I don't really want to get too much into that, but you know, you, you knew bad stuff was going down at that, at that place. Right. So anyways, I move in with her. And, um, she, um, yeah, again, you know, we got along really well. And then I noticed she would have episodes. She would, Normally her personality was pretty vibrant, pretty like, like, you know, very like lit up and, um, she would get in really dark depression, like can't get out of bed depression to the point that it was affecting her school because she's, and I was like, whoa, like, cause I, you know, you, you see the side of someone who's happy and upbeat. And that's how she was when she was out of the house. She always had, it was almost like a persona, but then in privately, when you're alone with her for more periods of time, she was pretty down. And then one day she, I, I said, you know, what's going on? And she goes, I got to tell you something. So she originally lived in, uh, Vernon, which is like interior BC. And she had a lifelong friend, a male friend, and they were very close, but they weren't like an item. They, they he was a, a friend, but in reality, I think this guy was in love with her, but he was like a small, very meek, uh, never had the courage to tell her how he felt. So I f think that he thought if they lived together, it would just naturally, this romance would blossom. So he had a good job. He was an accountant. It's just funny because I've been seeing these accountant uh, TikToks. So anyways, he was an accountant. And he um, moved her all the way from Vernon. He found a really nice place. He bought all this beautiful furniture. and And this girl, you know, was a bit clueless so she treated him like he was like one of her girlfriends like the ones you know a girlfriend that you you tell all your stuff to well this girl like big athletic dudes and she dated like football players and she dated like you know guys that were pretty athletic and this guy was not this guy was maybe a hundred pounds soaking wet 
So she before me, before she met me, she was dating this black guy who was a football player and he had a good job and he had a nice car. You know, the guy had it all. He had a nice car, he had a good job, made good money, he played football and uh, you know, charisma, he had lots of charisma, he had you know, good looking guy. And, you know, she would go on the dates with this guy. This guy had a nice car. She'd go on about how nice his car is. And, you know, and then she'd also just, you know, tell him about the sex. Oh, you know, and getting kind of in the detail, you know. So think about this. This guy is in love with her, right? He moved her out here. He thought, oh, if they lived together, they were going to have this. Because they didn't live together in their hometown. They, But he thought, you know, naively that if they live together, this romance would blossom, right? That's all he needed to do. He just needed to show what a good provider, what a nice guy and all that stuff was. She's out on date. She's getting nailed by these big, you know, dudes. And she's coming home telling all the details. And she thinks it's funny and ha ha ha, right? Well, on top of all this, this guy had a job as an accountant and Apparently, it was an extremely toxic workplace, a very toxic. And he was having a hard time fitting in with the culture. And he, and it wasn't like he was doing a bad job. He was good at his job. But they had all these, like, these stupid terms. And I worked in businesses and, and companies like this. They have their own little terminologies. And, and, and this, you know... One day I'll do a podcast about all the horrible jobs I had in Vancouver because that's another issue. Like it's almost like almost every job I've ever had had some level of bizarre, toxic, or strange element to it that if it wasn't for this, the job would be awesome. But so it was like one of these types of jobs. It had a lot of politics and it had a lot of like, oh, one of the the terms they would use, I remember it now, it was called uh, a career limiting move so if you for example of course if you show up late that's a career limiting move if you didn't attend the company event or left early or you know whatever wear the right socks or whatever they thought so that was he he wasn't doing well there even though he was good at his job he was very you know had a degree he was you know very professional but all the little social toxic things was giving him a hard time so then he comes home the woman that he's in love with. She's out nailing dudes, going on, you know, having a hell of a time. And um, so one day she's on a date with her big, you know, stud football player. And he pulls into the parking lot to drop her off. And she notices his car. It's in the parking lot. The doors are open. And the radio on the, it was a, probably at that time a CD player. The song was put on repeat. And it was a YouTube song called With or Without You. Playing over and over at full blast. So she's like, what the hell? The car's on. The doors are open. And, um, she goes upstairs, right? The dude takes off. She goes upstairs and the apartment doors open. 
It's not even closed. So she's freaking out like, whoa, what's going on here, right? The car door is open, YouTube song playing with or without you. And now she goes into the apartment and she walks in. She's calling the guy's name. She's looking for him. Goes in his bedroom, not there, right? She goes in the bathroom, there he is. The guy committed suicide in the most bizarre way. He, he took off his belt. He looped it and then buckled it, right? So it's just like a loop, buckled it. And then he just put his head there, right? So he didn't even like, you know, make a noose or anything. And, and the part that's really crazy is that, you know, for lack of a better term, his foot was, his foot was just hanging over the edge of the tub, like a, like a, like an inch. So all he had to do was just lift his back heel up like an inch and he would have saved his life. So, you know, real statement of, you know, how he killed himself. And, um, I don't know if he left a note or not. I think he did, but she never disclosed that probably because, you know, just this is the gut feeling I had. So basically the reason why I'm bringing this up is that when I lived with her, there was a day of the month. I believe it was the 23rd. I'm, I'm most likely wrong, but just for argument's sake, let's just say the 23rd. So what would happen when I was living with her was... The 21st, the mood would start changing. And the 22nd, she would just be like beside herself. And then the 23rd, she couldn't get out of bed. And then slowly. So basically, it was like a week where she just couldn't function. And um, so, you know, I was concerned for her. So, you know, at, at the time, I, you know, I truly loved her. I wanted her. I wanted her to get well. I just wanted to support her. And we actually did an, I went with her to support where she actually interviewed a, a forensic psychologist who was, he does like, okay, they have like the medical examiner, but he looks at everything from a psychological standpoint and he tries to get into the mindset of the victim. And he also tries to help the victim too. I mean, the, the person or the, the family that had it, you know, had to deal with the tragedy. And, um, Anyways, he, it was, it was quite eye opening and, and it, it was, you know, it was pretty hard for her. So it's getting pretty late out or early. It's 10 minutes to 5 a.m. I'm getting kind of sleepy. I appreciate you spending the time with me listening to my stories and I'm going to continue this on because there's a lot more material. I've been writing this podcast for actually quite a long time. And so there's a lot more stuff that I want to go over, but um, I'll probably end up making this into like two uh, more parts. And, uh, <clears throat> and, you know, again, I want to really thank you for all the support that you've been giving me. Uh, my platforms are really exploding. The numbers have been amazing. The engagement has been amazing. You know, there's the odd trolls, but who cares about them? You know, 99% of you people are super cool. I love interacting with you guys. I love, you know, exchanging messages. You send me lots of amazing stuff and it's been a lot of fun. So 
I want to tell you quickly about what's gonna what's in the pipeline as far as podcasts go. So I've been working a lot of podcasts behind the scenes. Even though I haven't been putting out a lot, I've been working on a lot of material. So tomorrow I'm uh, interviewing uh, David V. David V was a pretty serious dude. He was a heavy hitter working for uh, mobsters, the Colombians. Uh, his stories are absolutely mind blowing. He was in jail at age 14. At 17, he was working at a, a major big nightclub in downtown Toronto. Uh, just, just amazing stories and kind of an amazing person. You know, done a lot of, uh, you know, crazy things uh, and insane things and survived them, which is absolutely amazing. So I'll be uh, interviewing him tomorrow. And so that podcast will be put out. Then I'm also going to be working on um, another podcast, which I'm already in, in uh, speaking with uh, the victim of Martin Tremblay, a real piece of garbage, a, a drug monster predator of the downtown east side. So that will probably, I'll probably do one of those podcasts next week. And, and then I'll be interviewing another woman named Tabitha, who I've already been speaking with. She, uh, her her beautiful daughter at age 22 passed away apparently from smoking a little bit of weed. And I'm a big weed advocate. Weed prevented me um, from continuing binge drinking, uh, helped me break my binge drinking habit. And uh, so I'm a very pro cannabis person. So this was extremely shocking about this condition that apparently is called CHS. I'm not going to try to uh, tell you what it stands for right now because it's 10 minutes to 5 a.m. and my brain now is a little bit tired. So that podcast, it will be coming out very shortly. Also, too, I've been doing a lot of research behind the scenes on the Robert Picton case. I've been researching that for months maybe a podcast in that and maybe about three or four weeks. And then I also want to do a very in-depth uh, on Hastings Street. I have lots and lots of research about the horror of Hastings Street. In my opinion, the whole downtown east side, the current situation, how it got there, it's a humanitarian crisis. And there's a lot of reasons for how it came to be the situation that it is now. So that is the stuff that I'm working on behind the scenes. Uh, again, a, a podcast will be out tomorrow. So I'm doing a lot of work behind the scenes. And then I'm also really trying to build and expand on the platform, the different platforms. Uh, I want to do more video uh, when I can. Uh, I'm going to be making a, a website, which is a priority for the month of April. Because I feel it's important to, to have a standalone website at this stage. So that, that's a few things that I'm working on. So I really appreciate your support. Couldn't do it without your support. And please keep sending me lots of DMs. Send me news tips. Hey, say hi if you want. It's all cool. I always reply back. So I'm going to say goodnight. I got to get some sleep because I have to get up and interview David tomorrow. So this, this beautiful an ugly series will continue on. I have lots of material that I still haven't done. I was hoping to get it all done tonight, but you know, a little sleepy. Don't want to be up till 7 a.m. So thank you so much. I truly appreciate all of your support. Couldn't do it without your positive feedback, which you've been giving me since day one.
Thank you. Have a good morning or a good night wherever you are.